This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we're returning after our summer break in the Psalms and we're going back to our series in Acts 6. We'll be reading and looking at closely today verses 1 through 7. I thought about doing some review, just don't have time. But remember, Christ has been raised from the dead. He meets with his disciples, gives them a commission. The Spirit is poured out. The gospel is preached. Disciples are made. The church is birthed. Acts chapter 6. This is God's Word. It's a gift to us today. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May the Lord give us the gift of illumination. And for the sake of the gospel, may we be eager to maintain the unity the Spirit has created. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain 
the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. John Stott writes about this word eager. It's hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb, not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole man is meant, involving his will, his sentiment, reason, physical strength, total attitude. Yours is the initiative. That's what this word means. Do it now. Mean it. You're to do it. I mean it. Such are the overtones in verse 3. Where I ask myself, is this eagerness for unity to be found among Christians today? Is this an apostolic command that we are guilty of largely ignoring? Can't do that. Got to be eager, this kind of eager to maintain the unity. He says in Galatians, in his letter to the churches in Galatia, that the Christian life isn't a life lived trying to be right with God by keeping rules. The only thing that counts, says Paul, is faith working through love. That's the Christian life. Faith working through love. He told these Galatians, don't use your freedom from Rule-keeping or law-keeping is an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, use your freedom so that through love you serve each other. He said the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And his, his point was not love yourself. Make sure you love yourself. He said... If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Let's not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Churches are vulnerable. Churches are vulnerable. They're fragile. I often plead with people, don't, don't harm the church. They're, they're, they're fragile. We need to be filled with love for one another. Faith working through love. We, my family, vacations on the east side of the Gulf of Mexico. Each evening, there is a good chance of, of seeing an amazing sunset. David wrote in, in Psalm 65, you, God, you make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. And on Anna Marie Island, you, you hear that shout. You see this shout like few other places. On our last night of vacation this year, we walked down with our beach chairs to watch the show one last time before heading home. We found a good spot, sat down while the kids were playing on the beach. And then another group came, and they gathered just to the south of us and they were obviously dressed for some special occasion. I think somebody was getting engaged, maybe even proposing in front of their family. At one point, they, they apparently decided we were obscuring their view a bit. And they, they moved to the other side of us, the north side. Directly in our view of the sunset. Precisely as the evening began to shout for joy. 
I wouldn't say they were inconsiderate. I don't know their hearts. They might just have been stupid. <laughs> Those were the choices in my mind. They, they blocked our view for the entire sunset with complete disregard for every other human being on the planet Earth. And then one of them asked if we would mind taking a group photo for them. <laughs> Being a godly pastor, I immediately said, no, we're not taking your picture. Guy asked again, I said, no. He said, oh, come on, man. And while my family looked at me like I was the bad guy in this story, one of my sons got up and said he'd be glad to take his picture, and he took their group photo, and it was very humbling, and I later confessed my sins. My point is, I have no problem loving myself. And you're just like me. Because of remaining sin, you're probably not as bad as me, okay? We'll, I'll give you that. Because of remaining sin in our lives, we're, we all, even Christians, even pastors, we have to fight to love our neighbor as ourselves, don't we? It's a war. And it's, it isn't just a fight to love inconsiderate neighbors you don't know. It's a fight to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. If we don't fight, though, we are going to bite and devour each other. Our text is, is a brief but important passage in Luke's narrative, the book of Acts. He's telling a story. He's telling us a story about the birth of the church. And, and this, is, this is a brief passage, but it's an important passage. He, he brings to a climax this account of the incredible growth of the church in Jerusalem. And, and there's an important side note here about the leaders of the church resolving a serious conflict among these new believers. Three points today. Number one, the situation. Number two, the solution. And number three, the success of the gospel. Number one, the situation. It's right there in verse one. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, in these days reminds us of the context. Look back in chapter 5, verse 42. Every day and in the temple, from house to house, they didn't cease preaching the gospel, teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. The context is this activity, this preaching, and people are coming to Christ. You just heard a wonderful testimony about coming to Christ. That's what's going on. People are they're preaching the gospel. The church is growing. The, the, the apostles are being faithful to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead. Everyone that trusts in him for salvation will be saved. And in the midst of this, people are coming to Christ, and there's tremendous growth. But there's a complaint. And this is a serious complaint. Luke wants you to know this. This 
threatens the survival of the church, of this community. There's strife in their midst. The situation is urgent. Verse 1 and verse 7 talks about just this tremendous growth, but right in the middle is a situation. Verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. Luke doesn't gloss over the conflicts in the early church. He doesn't give us some romantic version. There's no sin in the early church. No, he lets us see it. There's a complaint, one group against another group. And, and the concern here we can relate to because it's, it's a question of discrimination. There's a question. Is a group being treated unfairly? There's a category of people. Are they being treated unfairly? They're concerned. The Hellenists are concerned that their widows are being discriminated against because they're not Hebrews. The church has this, if you remember, has an impressive ministry of love and generosity. There's a daily distribution of food. It is said of the church, there's not a needy one among them. Very unusual in the first century. Most women in this cultural context spent their lives in households that belonged to their fathers and then their husbands. They controlled little property. They had little economic opportunity. When they lost their husband, they were especially needy, especially vulnerable. The Old Testament talks about this a lot in, in, in Luke's two volumes, his gospel, the gospel of Luke and Acts. He seems to have a particular interest in caring for widows. It, it's an important problem. They're being neglected, the daily distribution of food. It's important to notice there is no discrimination. That is not why the widows are being neglected. But that's the accusation that's out there. That's the complaint. That's in the complaint. But actually, there was no discrimination. They have an administrative problem. I would like to say on behalf of Cornerstone Church, that's usually our problem. They have an administrative problem. But the, the complaint includes this critical judgment, this question of discrimination. You can see how divisive this would be. Their widows were being overlooked. And they're just tempted to think it's discrimination. Love believes the best. When you have a question, don't let your imagination go to the worst. But you can imagine where the other wi widows are being cared for just fine. The apostles saw it as a duty to care for widows. They're doing a great job except for their widows. Seems they're being negligent. Hellenists were just Hellenistic Jews, Jewish Christians who spoke Greek. Hebrews spoke Hebrew. They were Jewish Christians speaking Hebrew. They went to different synagogues 
Now they've come to Christ and they're in the church together. One speaks Greek, one speaks Hebrew. And there's a potential for division because it's not just that their languages are different. Clearly, their cultures are different. But Luke makes no mention of any kind of doctrinal differences, any substantial differences. It's all superficial. I'm so glad we don't have to worry about this kind of stuff in the church today, aren't you? There's never any division over superficial issues in the church. Actually, the sad truth is that it may be a greater problem than it's ever been. Over the last five years, division in churches over superficial issues has reached epic proportions, historical proportions. They'll, they'll be talking about this period. No kidding. In future church history classes when there was a great divide in the church. We, we, in our local church, we have to be vigilant. This is a great text for us. I, I'm he hesitant to give examples of the superficial issues we don't want to divide over because I'll make people mad just mentioning them. No matter what I say. What if I say politics? What if I say climate change? Beware. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Thus says the Lord, through love, serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out. You'll be consumed. Our church has been devoured before by slander, gossip, a lack of love. It's hard to watch, and I appeal to you, never harm the church. Watch out. We're vulnerable. Please don't harm the church with complaints and criticism. The good news is you're not doing that. This isn't a corrective message. I'm just reading the text. Acts 6, because their cultures and languages are different, has, shows us two groups of people with different outlooks, different attitudes, and they're complaining because of these superficial issues. And, and old prejudices and resentments are reasserting themselves. They go back in time. And so these superficial issues, these practical problems relating to the care of widows are needed. They need to be addressed. David Peterson in his commentary says, Christians in every age and social context need to be aware of the threat that cultural and racial differences can pose to their unity in Christ. That's the situation. I said this summer I was going to be doing a lot of reading. I read a book about the HMS, His Majesty's ship, the Wager, a Royal Navy ship. And she was part of a squadron that was going after the Spanish back in the day, early 18th century. And they went around the tip of South America, and she wrecked on the coast of Chile 
1741, and it became famous. I had never heard of it. You've probably never heard of it. I've got a feeling they're going to make a movie out of this book because it is quite a story. These sailors are marooned on a desert island, not a desert island, a desolate island in the, in the middle of Patagonia, in the winter time in Patagonia. And it's a famous story because it's not just shipwreck. It's mutiny. There's a mutiny. And there's murder. And these guys get back to England and there's a, a court-martial, a trial. It's quite a story. When, they were, when these sailors were on the ship when it was sailing, no problem with unity. You complain against the captain. You complain. You criticize the captain. No problem. We know what to do. 60 lashes. We got great unity on the ship. <laughs> Everybody's together. But when they shipwrecked, who's in charge? It's not the ship anymore. And it began to fall apart. Mutiny and murder. They began to starve. It just, it came out. Now this is not, we're not on the same team. We will do the same if we don't fight. See, we're called, we, we don't have unity based on 60 lashes. We have unity based on faith working through love. That's where our unity comes from. The, the apostles here, they administered the community resources. If you remember, back in Acts chapter 4, look, look back in chapter 4, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was then distributed to any that had a need, each as any had a need. So, when they complained about this daily distribution, it was really, it was also a criticism of the leadership of the apostles. Church leaders are always vulnerable. And these guys were no exception. Even though they were apostles, they were Jesus' disciples. They were vulnerable. And so th this is the situation. It's, it's a complaint. It's a criticism. It has the potential to make verse 7 not happen. That's Luke's point. Disciples are increasing. The gospel succeeding. Verse 1 and verse 7. In the middle is this complaint. This is the situation. It's got to be solved. So verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This is, this is a critical paragraph for Luke. He is giving us his theology of the word of God. Their leadership is expressed here when they summon the, the disciples, the church, and they make a proposal. How? To both provide care for all widows, that's their duty, they feel that duty, but they must continue to faithfully preach the gospel. 
So they're concerned about pastoral care. They wanted to fulfill the commands of Scripture, especially the commands about caring for widows. For them, that was an indication that they were being faithful to God and that the Spirit was at work in their midst. If you see widows being cared for, that's a, that's a fruit of the Spirit. There's not a needy one among them. That's the fruit of the Spirit. They cared about that. But at the, at the same time, they remembered Jesus' words from Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Starting in Jerusalem, but then all over the world. That's their commission, the great commission. And so verse 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the gospel because that's what their Lord has commissioned them to do. It's not right even to, to give it up to serve widows, to serve tables. To, to them, that's not acceptable. So what's the solution? Number two, the solution. Therefore, brothers, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, uh, that have a good reputation. Here's what we need. We need men who are full of the Spirit. And they're full of wisdom. It's a fruit of the Spirit. A wisdom from the Spirit. That's what we need. And we're going to appoint them to this duty. These guys, they got to be they got to be filled with the Spirit. they got to have the fruit of wisdom from the Spirit so they can serve tables. And the apostles can be released to preach the Gospels. They, they saw this as their duty to care for these widows. The solution wasn't, forget the widows, preach the Gospel. The whole church chose seven men. Bring us seven men, a new group of leaders, and they're going to meet the needs of these Hellenists in the community. These seven men are going to serve tables. That's a noble thing. <laughs> it's so important to the success of the gospel. You can see it in this text clearer than anywhere else I'm aware of. Just like, man, serving tables. So you young men that I was joking with this morning when you were setting up, I want to say to you what you're doing lets the gospel succeed. Thank you very much. I know you're overpaid. You get chicken biscuits, and that's more than you deserve, but thank you. In light of the situation, can you see why wisdom was so important? It's wisdom. They need wisdom. This is delicate. We can relate to this. There's these accusations. It's, it's about relationships. It's complex. Satan is hard at work accusing the brethren, especially the church leaders, He's right there. He's working the scene. 
And we need wisdom. We need the Spirit. In Philippians 2, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In, in context, he's saying, be like Christ. John Piper writes, why do Christians walk through life feeling a humble sense that we owe service even to unworthy people rather than them owing us? Well, it all begins in our hearts with the death of selfishness and can see we died with Christ and the birth of brokenhearted, lowly, joyful humility. That's what I saw in those young men this morning. This gives rise to a servant-hearted disposition that counts others as worthy of our sacrificial service. This gives rise to a way of life that looks to the interests of others, not just our own. And this creates the demonstration to the world that Christ is real. See how important that is? And that he's supremely and eternally satisfying. I'm serve, serving tables. These men, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, serving tables because they're just filled with joy. There's, there's no place for complaining, criticism, division in the church. It just doesn't work. There's no place for neglecting widows and others in need. So again, I want to thank every member of the church who serves tables. Thank you. I, I want you to see you allow the gospel to be preached. Amen. You're part of that ministry. We've seen that the church in Acts is a, is a model church. Th these guys are model leaders. Verse 5 Here's the solution. What they said pleased the whole church. The whole church thought that is a great idea. They give them seven guys, beginning with Stephen, a man said to be full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen is going to serve tables. Philip, we're going to learn about these two men as we go through Acts. Philip began serving tables both full of faith, both full of wisdom, both full of the Holy Spirit. One interesting thing is that every name on the list is a Greek name. So it's likely all these men that were chosen were Hellenists. How, how do you think that'd go down today? Verse 6, they, they set them before the apostles, they prayed, don't miss that, <laughs> and then they laid their hands on them. This was the solution. Faithful servants to serve tables. Listen, there are, there are men in here, and I believe the Lord is calling you to be a faithful man to look for an opportunity to serve. He's calling you. He's given you the Spirit. He's given you faith. He's given you wisdom. He's calling you to serve tables. To fulfill an administrative task. Number three, the success of the gospel. The result of all this, solving this problem, is success. 
Verse 2, verse 4, and verse 7 mentions the Word, or the Word of God. Verse 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God. Verse 4, we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word. Verse 7, the Word of God continued to increase. Luke often uses the Word or the Word of God to refer to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It's what we've been talking about all morning. What a joy. What a joy to just talk about the gospel. It's never redundant because it is the power of God. That's the point of this text. It is the power of God for salvation. That's why you talk about it. You preach it. You preach the person of Christ, the work of Christ, what he's done. You proclaim it. You proclaim it again. You remember it. And why do you do it? It's the power of God. The Spirit is at work, and the Spirit works with the gospel proclamation. And we will never apologize for that. We can't do anything else. We can't not preach the gospel. I encourage you, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach it to yourself. Preach it to your neighbors. Preach it on campus. Notice verse 7, the word of God. So here we have the gospel's increasing in verse 1. Verse then we, then we go through the, you know, this complaint, this criticism, this problem, this potential for division. But then verse 7, he concludes this paragraph. Luke just wants you to know, yeah, we had some problems. We solved the problem, and the gospel advanced. And you're supposed to go, yes! It's a story. You're reading a narrative. You're supposed to go, oh, good. Things are going, oh, my goodness, a complaint, division, discrimination. But a solution, the spirit at work, wisdom, faith, leadership. And the word of God, verse 7, continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests Jewish priests in the temple became obedient. They didn't just believe. I mean, they, their life changed. They were transformed by the gospel. Jewish priests. These, these are the priests we've been seeing persecute the disciples, the apostles in, in the first part of Acts. Persecute the church, these priests. They became obedient to the faith. That's the power of the gospel. There's no one beyond it. If the gospel can transform the life of a first century Jewish priest, he probably can, it probably can change your neighbor. The word of God is prospering. You know, what's your superpower? You ever been asked that? Everybody seems to ask that. What's, or what superpower would you like to have? You know, Sherry and I occasionally go to the movies, and it seems like all the previews now, which are like two hours long, are superhero movies, which we don't like, you know? And you see all these superheroes, just one right after another, and like, boy, 
You guys are into superhero stuff and superpowers. And movies now can make things that are completely unreal seem real. Incredible. That's thus the name, the Incredibles. But in reality, the Word of God is the real superpower. I know you're looking at me funny, but 46 years ago tomorrow, the Lord saved me and my wife Sherry on the same day. And the gospel transformed our lives. This was made so clear to us because we just went to my 45th high school reunion. Lord saved me right before my senior year. There were, there were 18 people in my reunion, which was considered a very good turnout. <laughs> Sherry graduated a year before me. Her class didn't do as well. But as we interacted with these people, they knew us. I grew up with them. They're like brothers and sisters. We grew up, you know, for the first 20 years of our lives. And they saw what happened. And they remember. And I remember. They call me the flag man on the highway to hell. Always waving my flags. One person that I met was my high school chemistry teacher who just popped into the reunion to say hi to folks. He was, he was a Vietnam vet. And he, imagine a Vietnam vet right now, that's Mr. Beisel. I mean, he's got an army shirt on, cut off, white hair down to here, Fu Manchu down to here. <laughs> and I saw him and I said, Mr. Beisel, Somebody told me he was there. I said, Mr. Beisel, I, I know you don't remember me, but I, I want to tell you something. He said he did remember me, by the way. I want to tell you something. I had been a very poor student, and the Lord saved me right before my senior year. And I needed to learn. And you were a good teacher. He was a chemistry teacher, and he would bring in volumes of pictures from the Vietnam War with bodies. And it affected us, and it endeared us to him. And he won our respect, and he, he taught me, <laughs> taught me how to learn. And I, I just said to him, the Lord saved me, and you were my teacher. And what a, what a privilege it was to tell him that. And I think... He appreciated it. He's 10 years older than I am. Sherry and I are trophies of God's grace. It would have been a very different reunion without the power of the word, without the power of the, the gospel. And that's why we must preach the gospel. We must be faithful in all the duties the Lord gives us as a church, and there are many. What a joy. We have all these opportunities to serve, and we want to be faithful in each and every one of them. We have a duty 
to serve. We don't want there to be a needy person among us. We want to serve the needy in our community. We want to make the gospel attractive through our service. But we want to always make sure that we preach the gospel. There's the power. We want to maintain the unity the Spirit has created. We don't want to complain. We don't want to criticize because we want the gospel to advance. We are called to preach the gospel. Martin Luther, his book Table Talk is unique because it's kind of a compilation of all these conversations he had with his students at a table. That's the name, Table Talk. He would be at home with his students and friends and he would just talk. And the, there's a quote in chapter 1 of Table Talk about God's Word. Here's what Martin Luther says. Infinite potentates have raged against this book. He's talking about the Bible. And sought to destroy and uproot it. King Alexander the Great, the princes of Egypt and of Babylon, the monarchs of Persia, of Greece, and of Rome, the emperors Julius and Augustus. But they never prevailed. They are all gone and vanished while the book remains and will remain forever and ever, perfect and entire as it was declared at first. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. Lord, build our faith even today as a church in your word. And Lord, let us be faithful to proclaim your word. Let us be faithful, Lord, to serve. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Fill us with wisdom and faith, Lord. Lord, give us, create in us a hunger to serve your purposes, Lord. We pray. Father, most of all, we pray for open doors for ministry. I pray for VFC this week. Lord, we anticipate how kind of you to have them look this morning, have all the students, all the interns. Josh, look at the power of your word this morning. May the gospel prosper at the University of Tennessee, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.